Welcome to Fans Labyrinth, the podcast where we talk about your favorite indie movies and genre flicks. My name's Joseph, and I'm here with two co-hosts, Lydia, or uh, how do we don't have a way to do this yet. <laughs> we introduce ourselves. I know, I know. Always done but it. I was like, but because if I just leave it to go, then you don't know which one to go first, right? Oh. So then it's like, uh, see, I was thinking point. you would you would introduce me for me because. I yeah. don't know how to do that. <laughs> um, yeah. Two co-hosts, Des and Lydia. So, so you're just going to keep that whole mess in? Oh, yeah. Yeah, let's do That'll it. Be, we'll see where the editing That's goes us, with that. The co-hosts. Hi, I'm Des. You wanted it organic. You wanted it real. You wanted it. I don't know if I ever said down I wanted it that real. Their throats. Nothing canned, nothing scripted. Uh, yeah. come here well, that's your... been abundantly clear from the beginning <laughs> of this podcast. Oh my god! People come here for their for our off the cuff takes. We give it to them real. It's the amount of times we just shit on each other for like not doing research properly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I'm just gonna admit I fucked up on the movie pick this time for <laughs> viewers who are gonna <laughs> get to the net. Um, if, you, you can't. Know, if you don't see. know the format, you can't we're gonna talk about other choking. bullshit for a long time. And then get to Annette, but uh, we'll we'll try to squeeze that time down for you. Um, yeah, yeah. Just to save your own sanity. Yeah, you know. We're only gonna uh, talk about it for like maybe like let's bring it down to like a tight maybe twenty minutes. I don't know if I have much more than that. <laughs> so let's uh, let's try to bring up the mood first. Lydia, have you been watching anything? Anything cool? Oh, are going we jumping? Are we just jumping right into media well, picks? I'm fine with that. I mean, yeah. I don't know I've what else we want to talk about. <laughs> I was in Montreal for a week on vacation, so I've watched some stuff. Um, I was guessing, I wrote it I'm guessing there's not much to do in Montreal other than watch things. Well, no, there was lots of stuff to do in Montreal. <laughs> it's just I don't go out at night That's because funny. I'm a woman. Hmm. Oh, my God. What's a reverse vampire? <laughs> yeah, but I'm too pale for that. <laughs> I have vampire paleness. That's the two genders. No is, night activities. Is vampire and woman. <laughs> um okay so things that i have watched oh my goodness um okay so i watched that new show on netflix uh clickbait with adrian grenier Mm, do you guys remember adrian grenier i try not to yeah the only thing i can entourage (laughs) entourage and the devil wears prada and he sucked in both of those things i'm okay yeah (laughs) um so look here's the thing Clickbait is very much trying to capture the attention of audiences who love like the sinner and sharp objects and like those kinds of shows, which I love. I love like my gone girl esque thriller television shows like, you know, Mr. Mercedes and true detective and all that shit. Um, It's just, it's bad at it. (laughs) (laughs) That's a solid, that's a good concise review. It's yeah. It's just, it doesn't do it well. So like it starts off, conceptually kind of cool it gives me sort of a black mirror sort of vibe 
Um, it's very like internet kidnapping, viral videos, stuff like that. It's interesting. And then there's a lot of like personal drama that ties into the mystery of this missing person. Love that. That's great. The characters are all terrible. <laughs> None of them are likable, including <laughs> the man you're supposed to want to find. Uh, the wife sucks. The sister's awful. And then Realistic. Legitimately, like, I feel like you could have ended this and it have a really satisfying conclusion after, like, episode four. And then it just turned into, like, this level of mid-2000s M. Night Shyamalan at his worst twist after twist. Mm. And by the end, the final twist and climactic conclusion is so outrageous and so stupid that yeah. you're like, what? Like, this is this is supposed to be like a grounded modern day thriller, like a mayor of East Town situation. And you're giving me mm. like the most melodramatic version of that. It's not it's not 1995 anymore. Like nobody's really looking for that level of drama in their thriller. I just wanted to add a quick correction in there. Uh, M. Night Shyamalan has been in his bad streak since he finished Unbreakable. <laughs> <laughs> you're not even you're not even going to get like give him anything after Unbreakable. No, nope. it's the only thing before that is the sixth sense. Yep. <laughs> I mean. That could be right. Signs is not bad. Go back and watch it. I'm not a Mel Gibson fan, but yeah. the, just the characters I like themselves. It's, it's really great as a family drama. It is not a bad movie. I, I will give him this. An alien movie where they're allergic to water is not a twist. So it might be his most original movie. It's well, no, because that's kind of just a War of the Worlds ripoff. Yeah, but... yeah, he didn't, he didn't try to dip, put a twist in there. He just, he's just like, no, there is, they're think, just War of the Worlds. I World think aliens. the twist is that they came with like absolutely no weapons other than like a weird <laughs> close contact, yeah. wrist spray. <laughs> you have to be within like a quarter of a meter of someone's nose to be yeah. able to effectively injure them. <laughs> the aliens didn't do or their the research. The child must be asthmatic. Like the only way to kill somebody if you're that alien is like go after the asthmatics. It's it's just pollen. It's just asthma spray. Uh, yeah. The aliens didn't do the <laughs> research. Inhaler. They, they came to a planet with that's like seventy percent water, and then they realize they're allergic to baseball bats too. It's just yeah, yeah. yeah. Swing Good away, move. Merle. Okay, so maybe I'll give them signs, but signs nothing, isn't bad. Lady in the water that. sucked. Lady in the water nothing was bad. It. The village makes me <laughs> irrationally angry to think about. Adrian Brody deserved better. No, he doesn't. Adrian Brody is a terrible person. Never mind. Adrian he Brody fucking it. sucks as a person. <laughs> Adrian Brody defends Roman Polanski and has been in more than one of his movies. Yeah. Never mind. Adrian Brody then. sucks. Fuck Adrian Brody. I do love his movies, though. It's a real bummer for me because I've loved most things he's been in except for Splice, which is wow bad. He has a regal nose. <laughs> he does. A he's royal. an attractive man. He's just terrible. It. Yeah. Yeah, he's a good looking man. What else you this want? This tangent did just... pretty hard. Clickbait sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Yeah. Yeah, I was just going to say, it kind of looked like it was just going to be like worse searching was my mm -hmm. like impression. It doesn't, it's not even like cool enough. Like searching, you're mm -hmm. doing it through like this medium of the computer, which is at least like interesting. Um, this is literally just Mayor of Easttown, but like some of the crime happens online. Um, and also mm -hmm. it sucks and just has like 18 twists in it for no reason. <laughs> It's really bad. 
It's like if there was like an episode of Black Mirror that spanned for eight episodes, but it was just the one story. Oh, you'd be <laughs> enraged by the time you got to the end. That's Brutal. this show. <laughs> it's probably one of my meanest reviews of anything I watched. Oh, wait. Just and wait we still have a net the, coming. The fun we done. Wait till we get there. So what's anybody other than me watched? <laughs> I'm trying to think of like what I actually want to talk. So, I mean, it's it's been a big topic, so I'm just going to throw it out there. So I did watch The White Lotus which is the HBO oh, yeah, show I that's that too. gotten a lot of attention. Yeah, so you can, it's, it's good. Like, it's definitely a good show. I just wish it was a little bit better. I wish there was something a little bit more to it. Yeah, um, is, it lacked my substance for me. Yeah, I just felt like, because, okay, it starts off, it's about a bunch of people going on vacation, a bunch of rich people going on vacation to Hawaii at this, like, really nice resort and called the White Lotus. And I love my favorite character is the, I don't know what you call him, but the, the manager, general manager of the hotel. Mm, yeah, he he gives big a, John Cleese uh, faulty towers energy, but not nearly true. as funny. Yeah, so he, and you find out that he's like a gay man and is like really fucked up in a lot of ways. And I thought they did that really well. Like his addiction to drugs and how he's pressured by these rich people and just feels like resentful towards them is interesting and basically one of the plots is that he he tries to like he screws up for one of the guests but he hates the guest so he does not want to own up to it or do anything about it so he just digs himself a deeper and deeper hole which then leads him to stopping sober and that sends a spiral so it's just like one storyline of many and the actual show and maybe you can you know back me up or go against me on this but it seems to be a kind of like privileged versus the unprivileged and how their interactions go and it's trying to be subtle about it like it's trying to show kind of more nuanced storylines but i don't know a lot of the privileged storyline like it feels to me like i don't know this for sure but i believe the creator is like a sort of privileged white guy named mike white and i feel like he's trying to make the characters the rich characters kind of like uh sympathetic have interesting storylines and they have stories but then he's really trying to be like but actually the real oppressed people is everyone else on the island but I really does don't feel like he gives those people actual sympathetic storylines to... in the no, end. And it also like it really feels like that sort of a like viewing the oppressed people on the island. You're really viewing them through like a white lens of like mm-hmm. performative activism. So it mm-hmm. feels super shallow. And I did you see that TikTok that I sent you? I always reference TikTok on this fucking podcast. I go go for it. So I literally sent you a TikTok about White Lotus, which is so funny that you're talking about it. But it was about the soundtrack for White Lotus. Yes. Um, and it was That's an indigenous man talking about this. Um, but the yeah. the soundtrack in White Lotus, the way the composer created it was specifically to give it sort of a Hawaiian sound. And the composer is a white man. Um, so he used traditional Hawaiian instruments, traditional Hawaiian drums and like flute type yeah. instruments. And he would bang on the drums with actual human remains, I think it says. Oh my God. To get a particular sort of primitive or savage sound, he said. And he would scream into these like flute and horn traditional instruments again to yeah. evoke sort of like a, a terrifying savagery. And I'm like, hold on. My eyes have okay, receded so, like, into do, the back of my head. Do we want do we really want to say that this is a show that's trying to highlight oppression on a 
very obviously heavily oppressed island while saying things like evoking images of savagery and primitive natures when we're talking about like indigenous cultures like is that and this is what I mean like it's like the super white hyper privileged performative activism lens where we're supposed to be like oh the poor island folk look how terrible the rich people are I would never it's like fuck off dude like hard, hard to write sympathetic yeah. Uh, regular people when you don't get to be a, a regular person <laughs> it's a bummer too because i really love connie Britton and steve zahn like i just i adore oh, both of those actors um steve zahn's hysterically funny and he does have some pretty funny-ish parts in the show although i truly feel like they underutilized him he is an exceptionally funny man um, and Connie Britton, they just made this like very flat sort of like bitchy character. And I'm like, you really could have like pushed her into full Karen territory. I think she could have owned that very well. Mm. So it just like everyone felt sort yeah. of half measured. Yeah. Jennifer Coolridge is in here, too, which is a fun God. throwback. And she, again, she was like yeah. less funny than she should have been. She's a. I think one of the more poorly thought out characters because she is a sick, like, so it's, it's about three different sort of families coming in and she is like the third family essentially all on her own. So I think that means that her storyline is like, she didn't have enough people to play off of or to do with. So you're really stuck with her just being depressed and not very funny a lot. And so it's just like, yeah, it was Again, kind of awkward. Hysterically she was fine. funny actor. Like yeah. they, they just, it felt like it should have been more darkly comedic. And it just, like, was never really funny. And you've got actors like Steve Zahn and Jennifer Coolidge and this guy who played the manager who's, like, given, Steve, like, um, John Cleese energy. But, like, nobody's actually all that funny. Yeah. And, you know, the starting point reminds me a lot of The Flight Attendant, um, where they really try to grab you with I a loved that premise show. where the beginning of White Lotus is a body is being boarded onto a plane to Honolulu from the vacation spot. So the question is, Whose body is it? So you see one of the characters, so you know it's not him. But other than that, it can be any other character on screen. And that's the wrap-up where you're like, who's going to kill who? Or why did this happen? Yeah, it or what really is it? seemed like it was going to go for like a murder on the Orient Express sort of mm. plot. For the first three episodes, it did. I was thinking, oh, is this? And they did a good job of like keeping, like giving you little like tidbits of like this character might want to kill this character or by the end, I feel like it was a cheap trick in a way. Like, mm -hmm. I don't feel it's a very satisfying technique. I do want to say the two good things. So I do, okay, three things. But I did like that guy, which I already said. And his storyline's interesting. I think his, sec okay, well, I had a debate with you about his, the consensualness of his sex with the underage guys. It's super weird. Yeah, I mean, if they're underage, uh, there is no consent. But I think that one no, of course. Was, so, but like of age. Yeah, they're like 19 or 21 or something like that. Let's say it's like, but it's like they, they make a deal, but it's like there's a lot of power dynamics there at stake. There's a lot of stuff. And I'm yeah, just it's, it's, it's not it's, consensual. It's yeah. Anywho. So and, but he's a bad person. There's so there's two other storylines that are kind of interesting to me. And that is uh, I don't remember if you, if you know any of the characters names, but so there's the daughter of the one family and she brought her best friend along or yeah. like a good friend. Right. And so the good friend, she's not white. And but she's still like privileged to some degree, it seems. But she really seems to take to heart this this narrative, which is um, strewn throughout the uh, show about like privileged people's activism and how they are things. So those two girls are like have a certain type of activism they're interested in. And so she actually 
I don't know how much of a giveaway this is, but like she gets in a relationship with one of the native Hawaiians and they hatch a plan of a sort to get back at privileged people. And that was interesting. There's an interesting thing too. And I think it ends in an interesting way. I still think it's kind of fucked up in the end and I don't know about it. So, but if, if you get something out of it, sure. Like I'm not disparaging you because I do think it's genuinely interesting, but it, it did live in me with an sour note in the end for, for my take. Then the last one was, and this is, I heard that this is one of the creators, like big self inserts was the, her brother, uh, like of the family character. There's like a younger brother and he's just being like thrown to the side by everyone basically. Also played by the guy um, in Fear Street. Uh, He was Simon. Oh, fun fact. That's interesting. Yeah. (laughs) Never connected that. Like, so he he just wants to play video games and stuff, and he's very, like, depressed about life. And so in the end, he wants to, spoiler if you want to cut for a second, but he wants to stay on the island. And uh, he's he's in love with the culture and wants to connect with the Native Hawaiians. And it's like... I love being it's poor. It's like, I don't know, it, it, it reminds me of that vampiric sort of Titanic type storyline where people mention that, like, Rose's character is often kind of just trying to, like suck the life out of Leonardo DiCaprio's character. Like, her life is too miserable, so she's just there to, like... It's it's poverty tourism. You want all the exciting parts of what it's like to be sort of, like, carefree But you still have the full poor, safety of your privilege. But you want the safety net. That's all it is. That's what that storyline gave me in the end, and I think that's a good indication of what this guy was about uh, for the show. That's my take. All right. I agree with you. Yes. For the most part. Did you, uh, have you been watching anything? anything? Um, I'm, I haven't seen anything, uh, new or recent, but I've seen a couple things. Uh, feel free to like, like shoo me off stage if, uh, if none of these are oh, at all God. relevant. Uh, I watched the Super Mario Bros. movie. Oh my God. Uh, okay. <laughs> John Leguizamo? Hell yeah. Let's dig that into that. Let's go. Let's uh, go. <laughs> Uh, what a le- that, hard and the, and the other like guy. <laughs> uh, I forgot his name, but I he's actually like I've, I've seen him in things, and he's actually been great. He's like he's a John famous Lugazano. actor. I can't think of his yeah. name. Uh, and it's a damn shame uh, that movie is horrid. Oh god, that movie it's is so bad. Putrid. They were that drunk movie... the whole time. Yeah, yeah, that's my favorite part. Uh, and that's at some point, the, mo- uh, the actor who played Mario, the guy who we're looking at. He broke like a finger because the set was like poorly designed. Bob and so Hoskins. Like movie. Bob fucking Hoskins. Uh, great name. Uh, so like part of the movie, he's wearing like a cast or something. So I mentioned this movie. I wasn't going to, but I'm going to mention it because the Super Mario Bros. movie is better than the one we watched today. <laughs> uh, it has it has a more Dude. cohesive plot. Uh, it has oh more, more. Uh, it has better Bruh. developed characters. No, uh, you gotta stop. Is, you can't. There isn't a world. It is. It is, it a is better, just as watchable. <laughs> it is a better ironic watch. I'll give you that. Like it's like. Oh the yeah, room. No, I'm, I'm not being entirely serious. And make it a drinking game, and it'll be super fun. But you can't objectively I'm, say it's well, a better I movie. I never thought I'd. If, I'm, if I'm, you're defending this, like Annette, for this, listen, Lydia, I am shocked. Guys, it is so I, bad, Joseph. You don't understand. Yeah. There's like literally two thirds of the movie. Bob Hoskins and John Leguizamo were off their ass, slurring drunk. The movie doesn't make oh, any yeah. sense. Like it was rewritten eighteen times. It's fucking yeah. bad. It is yeah. bad. Uh, it's a that fever movie had dream. 
that movie's production was marred by uh, licensing issues, uh, money issues, a lot of di- studio interference, studio interference, uh, di- uh, director issues because the director writer pair was like a husband and wife. Yeah, uh, who I think split later on down the road or something, or maybe they split before they made the movie and then they made the movie. But he wanted to do something like super insane and avant-garde with it um, rather than stick to like the source material. Like he wanted it to be like an LSD trip of a movie. Um, And that's why it's so like totally fucked up. And so I'm only being somewhat jokey when I say those kind things I said about the Super Mario Bros. movie. Uh, But it's abhorrent in every other in every way possible. And I still enjoy watching more than today's movie. But uh, I you know what I did watch? I watched. um both no i watched uh <laughs> david lynch's dune okay um okay. The, the 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 extended version of it which i Old think is choice. the one he disowned oh uh and i'm gonna be honest if you can if you can pretend that movie came out 10 years before it actually did it's it, not a that's not a good review it's it's it you know what it, i think i think there's actually things in that movie i like a lot not a good that's not a great review it's a terrible movie and i and i really like it um <laughs> like, and i was rewatching it this movie's I, only passable <laughs> if it came out in like 1965 well, it's about, it's, yes because <laughs> it's, it's partly about the like uh what, special effects and whatnot which are a huge problem but it's it's funny because it's, it's almost an okay movie in many regards like the the guy who plays it's a famous guy he's in twin peaks and whatnot Kyle but, mclaughlin um, baby yeah, Tom McLaughlin. Yeah, he he's good. I Other love Tom McLaughlin. I hate everything to do yeah. with the I'm forgetting his name, but but Baron Hardoken or whatever his name is. Everything with him and Sting and all that stuff is beyond trash. Is that the version with Sting? Oh yeah, yeah, hell yeah. Okay. The extended cut has more Sting than the regular cut. Yeah, I I just it's it's <laughs> not, something no one asks for. I don't Sting's think there's any lines. <laughs> yeah, it's it's fine. It's just that the set is so bad and like the feeling of it is so low budget there. Oh, I that's where I'm going to. So I'm, I no, feel like no. I'm going to be the villain of this episode. I've already <laughs> said some mean things uh, by by comparing Super Mario okay. Bros to a movie. That was a to hot movie take. That um, was a hot and it's going to remain though. hot. That, 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 that take is going to sear through the floor. <laughs> I legitimately enjoyed Dune. Uh, it's bad, but I legitimately enjoyed it for a few reasons. I, w- I would actually disagree and say the set and costume design for the first half of the movie is like tops. Uh, in like many of see- the things, I'm just saying I hate Baron Hadouken with because it, it doesn't it's not it doesn't match. He's all like, he's in, like all- a white gymnasium or whatever. Yeah, that shit all <laughs> sucks. But um, the first half they're showing like no, spaceships ship from great. like yeah, that's great. huge distance shots. They're yeah. showing crazy outfits. Yes, that's all great. The witches are great. Oh. I don't I don't think they're called witches, but whatever they are, <laughs> we'll call them the witches. space witches. Space witches. Yeah, that's basically what they are. The even their um, outfits with the breathing tubes. It's all like acceptable oh, for the time. All I of think it. It's pretty good. I would say it's better than acceptable. The I think, second the like, special effects come in, though, in any scene, you want to die. Like, yeah, the cubes. Um, the cubes is. Yeah, well, I think a you're lot. also it's, like the rough part is they chose David Lynch as the director. Who I love David yeah. Lynch. The man is not the man you want to direct a high special effects film. That's not what he does. Also, Dune. Sorry, I just know, want to pause. Like, with, yeah, you go ahead. Sorry, I just want to pause for this because it's like there is a, such a funny story with this where it wasn't meant to be made by Lynch. Lynch was a common director way yeah. later. It was made, it was supposed to be by Jorowski, who's made The Holy Mountain. I love his work. And he was obsessed with trying to make this movie. He had diagrams. He had a whole Bible to make this movie. And he trained his son to yes, become. I knew that. The thing. It's so 
crazy. Atreides um, so or whatever. He wanted, and so then he, for I forget what it was, but the budget was too big or what he wanted it to do a, was too big and he didn't. Budget. It was budget and also he clashed heads with the studio. Like he yeah. would not budge on what he wanted. He wouldn't lower his budget. He wouldn't change his vision. He wouldn't cast anyone but his son. And so they just like scrapped him. Yeah. So, so, so then he got replaced by Lynch. He saw the movie and he was because he was terrified because Lynch, he's like, Lynch is going to make this amazing. And my dream will be. And he loved that the movie was terrible. He was like, thank God. So petty. Even Lynch could not make this mm-hmm. like great. And but the things I enjoyed that there's a documentary about this called Jodorowsky's Dune. And the imagery in his like master book has been used in like every sci fi since. And so that's yep. a kind of interesting take on this that his it still has influence. I think I think that's partly why I love Dune so much is if you can accept the fact that it was basically hamstrung from the get go and you can see like the reverberations that came from it, whether like whether it's, you know, how certain things are shot, uh, how, how like again, I think the outfits and the and some of the sets in the first half are like truly ahead of their time. Um, that movie had no chance. And I still think there's bits of it that are decent. I think it's a bit strange. Uh, both the two movies that I saw in recent memory both could be compared to the one we just <laughs> we just watched stop comparing things to Annette because like Annette's oh, bad to. in a unique and yeah surprising but, way but, 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 but I think I think I think all three of movies like the not to transition too soon but like all three of the movies had vision <laughs> the, I'm not I'm not ready was... to go to Annette I'm not yeah, okay I can't <laughs> Yeah, I can't go that to, dark place again. We need to we need to fluff yeah. this this <laughs> starting bit because at, at yeah. this point, if we go to Annette now, I have to talk about this fucking movie for forty five uh, minutes. Annette gets and uh, I can't do Annette it. Annette gets the last Annette gets the last five minutes. Um, so I'll say, <sighs> I didn't watch any. I didn't watch much else, but I did play a video game. Well, well, hold on, hold on. We'll we'll we'll, we'll trade some other people's. Yeah, get in there, and then, get in there. And then we'll we'll come back to it. So, is that everything that. you want to say about Dune? Do you want to? Yeah, it's great. You should rewatch it. Oh my god. Okay. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, I am excited for the new Dune. I'll be honest. I, I am excited for it. That's I, why I rewatched it. Yeah. I was just, but here's my thing. I, I, I liked the book, but there's, there's something effed up. Like there's something that to the modern mind, I find like such an old style of story. That's like, there's white savior complex. There is really dark Game of Thrones-esque world that you don't like. This future is so just like brutal in like a, sad way but then like the the hopefulness is like a guy who's like the son of a noble house becoming a white safe like i don't know yeah. like this is yeah. the hope like is... I, yeah the yeah. hope but is returning then, right? to the like, days of white he's a total mary uh, uh mary stew is that what yeah mary, stew. mary well, it's, stew. It's, it's also stew. it's also like the john smith pocahontas thing right where he's just like i will be adopted by the people i see as savages and they will take me as their leader and then I, I, I will think, steal I think, their child bride. Yeah, Jessica for life. But like, other than that, I think um I think the thing about it that I appreciate is that I I've read the books. I've read uh at least and two we read of the, books. the first one. And I I personally don't think the first a book is. Fan. I know. Oh my god. <laughs> I personally greatest think masterpiece. Dune is. I'm not going to say it's unadaptable, but it wasn't adaptable for the time. Certainly not in one yeah. movie, which is why I, I rewatched it. Is because I think the second, the new one, being in two pieces, if we get the second piece, will hopefully. I don't know. After Villeneuve being such a little bitch about it, we probably will. <laughs> 
he is being a little bitch. Yes. Uh, I don't want to. I want to watch Oscar Isaac's uh, in my <gasps> oh, underwear. Oscar Isaac, though. Oh my I want to watch it. I want to watch him in my underwear on my couch in my basement. I don't want to be in a theater with people who can sit near me. I agree. The casting in this Although, movie, though, the way is you made phenomenal. It sound sad oh my god! Like it was going to be like a weird thing, but I agree with you. No, <laughs> I just for the for the most part, when it comes to like movies that have followings or fandoms that run too deep. I'm the kind of guy. I went to Deadpool with my with my partner, um, and I poured coke on the seats on either side of us because I didn't want anyone to fucking sit next to us. Dude, uh, we're gonna I do that. I had to. I had to that, work I, at movie theaters. I would have had to clean. I'm that. sorry. I did that at move. almost every movie I went to. I I did that at almost every movie because I don't want people I want to, to next punch to me. you in the face right now. Wow. Buy extra it. tickets and say somebody else I'm, is fucking coming. I'm not saying I'm a good person. Oh my I'm just God. saying. You know I the things that my, I have had to clean out of a movie theater. I swear to Christ, I'm, you suck. I'm the villain today. You are I'm the villain. villain that that was over Hell the line. Yeah. Bridge too far. Yeah. I'll take it. Jesus Christ. Next, next thing I'm gonna say, I love the net. Fucking dare you. <laughs> um, next thing I'm gonna say, I love the net. No, no, you won't. <laughs> Not even you can lie that convincingly. Yeah. yeah, I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> you wanna you wanna go, Lydia? Oh yeah. Other stuff. Other stuff that Just I watched. Just take me out. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so I watched the new season of Good Girls, mm-hmm. which is also a show on Netflix. And this is the final season. So it's the fourth and final season of the show. And my God, what a disappointing end to oh. an honestly quite entertaining and fun dramedy. It is a real bummer. It sucked. Um, it was great for the about the first half of the season, but it really, really truly felt like a season like they had condensed two or three seasons into one um like Mm. you could feel that they had intended for this to go into a fifth season because they introduced a bunch of new characters that they couldn't really flesh out or do anything with there were several different plot lines that didn't really get closed out in any meaningful way and then you get sort of a pseudo dream sequence and then the end and nothing is really resolved in any significant way dream sequences yeah so you could you could tell that there was like an intent that this would have gone into a fifth season to truly close out these characters and it just it got canceled for for like dwindling um viewership and uh budgetary constraints and it's a bummer because the show up until that point was like really quite fun um like it was it was pretty well done i think it's by i think think it's by nbc um and netflix is just like a streaming distributor Mm. for nbc um and like it was it was funny like i'm not a huge fan of of you know short form comedy and like sitcoms and shit like that but it was it was funny and heartwarming and entertaining and the characters were really well done so it's just kind of disappointing for it to end in that way um but most of the actors i hope you know we see in other things i think they're all very talented it had Christina Hendricks in it, who's, you know, fantastic. And um, oh, wow. Uh, yeah, she's the main character. And then uh, Manny Montana, who is amazing in the show as sort of like a, a gang member, bad guy kind of character. And he's just really, really fantastic. Uh, so I hope. How have I slept on this? It's really good. It's really, really good. How it's basically about three suburban moms hit money trouble for various reasons. Uh, so you have Christina Hendricks's character who finds out that her husband's been cheating on her. And his business is going under. They're about to hit bankruptcy. So they're about to lose their house, which is over mortgaged. 
Ruby, whose daughter is sick and in kidney failure, and they can't afford the transplant, the cost of the transplant. Mm. And then um, Beth, who is uh, Christina Hendricks's character, her sister, Annie, uh, has always been kind of a fuck up um, and just like lives in a shitty two bedroom apartment with her son and doesn't have a ton of money, uh, works a dead end job. And they hatch a plan to solve all their money problems. Uh, by robbing a grocery store, the grocery store that Annie works at. <laughs> Hell right. yeah. And they, you know, assume that they're going to get about 30 grand out of the safe uh, and they end up getting 500 grand. Oh, and it what? turns what? out. The grocery store? It turns out the grocery store is being used to front? launder money for a gang. Right. Okay, uh, that makes and sense. And that's yeah. how they get involved in the gang and it goes from there. I got to watch this. I, I'm a huge Christina Hendricks apologist. I think. Apologies. What has she done? Paul just makes it sound like she's done terrible things. Mad Men Men was the big one. Yeah, well, I just mean, like, I think she's underused in all the things I've seen her in. She's always, like, she's always the the trophy curvy woman, or she's, like, the object of desire for another talented male actor. Well, yeah. But you can tell. Uh, I think she gets typecast. You can tell it's more from a female lens, like from a woman's gaze, than it is from a male gaze. Yeah. Because... Because Mad Men was like... Very male gaze centric. This feels like middle-aged suburban mom fantasy, (laughs) but like funny Mm -hmm. and and sort of poignant Mm -hmm. and humorous and interesting. Um, But like the vague sexualization that happens with her character feels very much like it's coming from a female gaze perspective. Like it's, it's yeah. sort of a woman's fantasy as it's opposed probably more to natural sexualizing her. Um, so it's, yeah. you know, a little bit better and she's in like sort of mom clothes. Like they're not trying to overemphasize her curves. She's wearing like regular clothes that anyone would wear. Damn. Yeah. I gotta, I, I'm going to write that one down. It's good. It's really funny. The, again, the last season's kind of a bummer, but, the first three yeah. are really, really good. I think I think the last like half maybe decade of, of TV shows has shown me that like no one really knows how to end a TV show anymore. That's valid. Mm. They either so go on too much, long or they get canceled too soon and there's just like nothing yeah. consistent about the endings. Or or they want they want I think I think a lot of shows want to to end on a on the same kind of um like fervor that they came in on, right? Mm. Like and it always lands flat because, like, you know, stories are supposed to have catharsis. They're supposed to, like, wane down. And they don't end quite as low as they start, but they're supposed to, you know, taper off. They're supposed yeah. to be a sunset moment. Not necessarily a happy one, but... An epilogue, if you will. Yeah, yeah. Something that at least wraps up enough of the, you know, the loose threads. But no one can fucking do it anymore. Yeah. So, little story here. So I decided to pick up the... <laughs> Total change of pace. Decided to pick up the Criterion channel to watch more pretentious movies. I yeah. love them. We did that together. Yeah. So, so Des and I watched a movie together on it. Okay. Well, um, thanks for leaving me out. Free it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I Hurtful. don't know if I'd recommend it in all honesty. Well, yeah, in this case, it was uh, not a good. Uh... So, yeah. So it's a not a great start to our <laughs> little journey here into Criterion, but you know, it's one of those things where I tried to pick one that I knew was like one of those ones that's talked about a lot and had a, had a trope that I like I was interested in. I thought it was cool. It has the death chess. Uh, you you uh, play for the bar. chess against death. 
scene. This is where it comes from, is this movie, which is called The Seventh Seal by Ingmar Bergman from 1965. Oh, I've actually heard of this one. <laughs> it's got uh, Max von Sydow. I, I kept name dropping. Which is and, wild. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and Joseph Because he's still in it, stuff. But... Like, he was still in stuff for, like, so long. Yeah, he was, like, 90-some-odd. Mm-hmm. And when, this was... Uh, <laughs> yeah, and this was a Swedish movie. Swedish, right? Yeah. Yeah, Swedish. and then... Uh, but then he started acting in English-speaking movies. Roles. Yeah, and he was, um, like, young in this. He was, yeah. um, Which, like, he fresh He looks faced. old. He looks, like, 40 in it. But he, he's got this that is, like, mature... our conversation about Christopher Lloyd all over again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 it is, yeah. <laughs> um, but... He looks mature, but I don't... I wouldn't say old. He's got that, like, 1960s, like, like beach muscle guy kind of face. He looks good. Yeah, he looks great. But, yeah, so... So our big problem with it to, to put words in your mouth a bit, but it's like, Please. Is it, it's a bit too stage play in the end. Like it, it, you couldn't feel that immersed because it felt artificial in, in many ways. Mm-hmm. And I just felt that the existential problem. So it's about him facing off with death because he's a, he just came from the crusades. So he was a knight at the crusades and he's, he has last drips of faith left. And then he gets back to Europe and the plague is killing fucking everyone. And he's like, what the fuck is God? Yeah. He goes on a journey where bullshit is happening to everyone and it's horrific. And he's like, how can I believe in God when this is true? His squire is... He collects a band of like misfits. By far the best character. And is like living it up with this like amazing existential Mm -hmm. journey. uh, Like sort of talking to all the townsfolk and different things. Other than that, though, I don't know. I I didn't get it. I liked bits. I liked the idea of it. Like if you wanted to like... If you like take like a top down view of it and you disassemble it, it really the whole thing feels like a stage play, which is like both to its credit and I think to its detriment for like probably modern viewers. But like, like each of the characters is a an archetype. So like as you go through the movie, you don't need to question their character growth. You don't need to have any expectations for where their story ends. All you need to know is like the fool shows up, the the lovable brute shows up, the yeah the, they're like the, archetypes. Like the, yeah, um, there's like the like they, all these characters fill these roles, and the squire in particular is the most interesting for a few reasons. I think mostly because he is the one who simply just has to keep surviving. So like Max von Sydow's character uh, is the one who's like you know in his in his feelings like what is life? What is like God's role if this is what life looks like? And the squire's just like I'm gonna do whatever it takes to get to the next place. I'm gonna just roll with the punches. Uh, That's true. Like. And he and through that, both the, it's mostly the squire kind of assembles a ragtag group of misfits who are all like downtrodden. And Max von Sydow's character is almost entirely separate from that group, more or less having his own like. Uh, I'm forgetting the word because I'm I've been up very long today. Um, what's it called when you like monologue to yourself, soliloquy? Mm-hmm. That yeah, he does that most of the movie. Um, off yeah. off screen from the rest of the actors. He's very disconnected from everything. And so at the end, like the catharsis of the movie is, I feel kind of wasted because. It's his question, but everyone else gets an answer to it. Hmm. But uh, yeah, I, it's one of those movies I can theoretically the like it, but I, my problem with the themes is like as a person who studied philosophy, uh, <laughs> but it's just like I I do feel like it's kind of a a normalish take on a lot of the stuff, and of course, but of course it's older, right? It's like I think the ideas are good. It's well done. It's well thought out. I've just seen them all in different things, so it doesn't feel fresh to me at all. And this is a problem. Anything that gets a little too like abstract philosophy, it's like I would rather it just do more movie stuff because I haven't 
learned everything there is to know. Not that I know everything in philosophy, but I know a lot about philosophy. So it's like when a movie director or whatever is trying to do philosophy stuff, it's like they usually read like three books. And it's like, yeah, I mean. Yeah. And I think I think it's the same as if you were to like be raised on like Game of Thrones and then you went back and read Tolkien. You'd be like, all this right. shit's been done before. And you're like, well, yes, it came from somewhere. And like this movie probably didn't spawn any of those conversations. But you can tell like the language of, of cinema that it uses is of that era. And it probably was like groundbreaking. No one probably saw it <laughs> for that reason. But yeah, yeah I think if, if we ever if we do more criterion ones i'll uh, send you a thing i'm not sure you want to buy get the subscription just, but it's a free I trial i just want to be included yeah yeah so, I, I well i don't wanted. know if you wanted i don't know if you wanted to be included in that one but no i'm fine with that <laughs> yeah. um that sounds insufferable uh, if i'm honest you should see a good you should see a photo of max von Sydow from that movie though because he is like Hunky. truly truly like because he's got the big the high cheekbones right yeah. So he's got this like long distance between his cheekbone and his jaw, and he looks like exceptionally. Uh, he looks like a superhero. <laughs> mm, interesting. Yeah. yeah I, I don't know if that's my vibe, yeah. but I'm intrigued. No, no. I have terrible taste in men. Yeah, but now, I want so. to learn a little bit more about <laughs> art. I want to learn a little bit more about uh, art house film history and whatnot. So I feel like you know, if anyone out there wants to go on a little journey with us mm-hmm. on that side of things, learn things because. You know, to be honest, I usually I like having a decent amount of expertise in the thing before I start talking about it. But honestly, my my understanding of art house or like more indie film is for doing this podcast is pretty let's say medium. I'm not gonna say poor, but like it's pretty pretty medium. You've, you've learned I, so. a lot in our time yeah. of of yeah. doing this. You learned the about bisexual lighting. <laughs> I have Fun some uh, I have some other gay shit to talk about for the last <laughs> bit, but if uh, Hell yeah. Beyond just uh, that actor whose name I just forgot, Von not Von, Von Trier. It's Von Trier. Yes. Yeah. Uh, another Von conversation Tr- we were having in the back. Yeah, Von Trier is a director. I know. I know. I was joking because, but the actor that, that who played the knight in this, I'm I just lost the name. Max Von Sydow. Von Sydow. Yes. Yeah. So uh, you wanted to say talk about a video game. Yeah, I realize that's probably like way off kilter, but um, does it have a narrative? Yeah, and and I'm and I'm good. a huge proponent for like video games as art. Uh, not all of them. There you go. Uh, but I think I think that's a that's a bar they can aspire to. Um, I'll just be like, is it art though? Well, and that's the thing, right? Is like, um, I think I, know, I just uh, like you sound like it. bitches. I just think I think I think in a, a medium Bound where you can life. tell stories, you have the potential to reach higher than than the bounds of how you engage with it. As you said, like Seventh Seal dabbled with like philosophical ideas that were like beaten to death by the time um mm-hmm. it happened uh psychonauts it did a good two. job though let, yeah. let me before people rail me for this <laughs> like it's it it, do, it does a good job i just for me it wasn't enlightening That's i think all. it's a fine movie yeah so i played a game called psychonauts 2 it is a sequel oh yes um, but but i can introduce it easily it is a story about a young boy who his family is afraid of psychics uh and they run a circus he runs away to a psychic camp to discover his true potential feels like a anything. bad move to be afraid of psychics and join a circus where there are usually yeah, so that's what... like many <laughs> mystics. Yeah, so he ran away because uh, he didn't want to uh, ruin his family's lives and be an outcast. So he chose that future for himself. Uh, and when he gets to the summer camp, uh, he actually ends up helping various adult counselors with their own mental 
entanglements via like a fairly gentle touch so like the game it's a it's a platform where you're going into the minds of people and you get to kind of help untangle traumas and by doing so you're like entering basically like a world like you would in any like a uh, platformer uh, but it's themed entirely around them so like there will be figments which like kind of represent right. uh, things that kind of float in and out of their consciousness that are related to how they see the world there will be emotional baggage you need to help them undo there will be locked safes that have memories that are too painful to revisit and at the end there's generally something you need to help them with this sounds like it would either be really good for my depression or like really <laughs> really bad for well based on the bo burnham uh, experiment probably bad <laughs> yeah Th- well is... man that was a rough couple of days the, the reason i wanted to bring it up actually is because it's um both the original and the sequel the sequel is is um that character uh doing more of the same but kind of turning the lens back on his own family uh, and going through their minds as well as some other adults. The reason I bring it up is because not only does it, as a video game, and especially like a pretty dumb one, you know, like platformers are like Sonic, Mario, it does a really good job of gently touching on topics like trauma, addiction, identity, mm-hmm. all these things in both a hopeful lens and also in a way that doesn't like kind of pat it on the head and put it back away. Like it looks at these things and before it, you know, becomes too dark, it generally, like like a therapist would, tries to, like, find some kind of a resolution. Try to point out, like, what causes it. Uh, it's really interesting. Uh, and if you get, ever get the chance to play either of those two, anyone, it's uh, it's really hopeful. And that's a nice take nice. <laughs> for a mental health uh, jam. I Yeah, I actually had heard lot. I've seen lots of lists and stuff like that of, of video games as art, which really look back to the original Psychonauts. Yep as one of the these moments in the history of video games that no one expected and was mm-hmm. just it, it had a story so much more elevated so much more carefully thought out and and considered than anything else happening at the time not anything else i'm sure there's some rpgs blah 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 at the time but yeah but this was i think ps1 era uh ps2 and xbox it was okay. um it was it was it was kind of out of nowhere too because like the studio that had developed it was I'm not going to say untested, but this was their first major, I think it was probably their first release or their first major release right. uh, on a new platform, and no one saw it coming, which is actually why the sequel was supposed, like, there was supposed to be a sequel. It got made, I think, now it's been 10 years later, mm-hmm. because they had crowdfunded it, and people wanted more. Because, yes, I um, heard about that, yeah. Yeah, the, the game had such, like, a rise when it first came out that... Um, you could actually mail your copy of it to the guy who had written it and he'd just sign it and send it back. So I've got on my shelf two signed <gasps> copies because... That's so cool. Yeah, like for them that it was huge really cool. and for us it was huge. And it really is, I think, one of those games that elevates it. Because like the takeaway... Every game needs villains, right? This game, the takeaway from it is that we're all just accidents waiting to happen. The villains in it are human beings who were hurt and you end up helping right. them navigate those things in a very compassionate way yeah i don't know with with video games and with most media i think mental health is something that's taken like it's 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 just a bludgeoning attempt whenever people try to like crack open that nut Uh, and this one's just like no like it's it's therapeutic (laughs) awesome yeah oh shoot i lost my train of thought sorry so lydia if you want (laughs) to say rescue my lost train yeah I, I have a lot of shit on here, so I don't know what to talk about. Um, <laughs> I don't know why. It's like 
it's like, yeah, <laughs> just like the most exhausted. Like yeah. I could just see your eyes scanning the like, yeah. yeah. It's like the scroll unraveling. <laughs> like what, what to lambast. Yeah. So I saw, uh, I, I did a rewatch of Hell House LLC. Um, I don't really have anything super interesting to say about it. I don't know that one. It's a horror movie. You can watch it on Amazon Prime. There's three of them. Uh, but it's a uh, found footage film. So similar to like uh, uh, the Blair Witch Project. Similar style. I was hoping you'd name a found footage that, that like no one had ever seen. I mean, I can name a lot of them. I just I purposefully <laughs> named one that people yeah. had seen so they would know what found footage was in case they weren't horror fans mm-hmm. <laughs> but i have seen a great many including hell house <laughs> llc which is one that not many people have heard of but anyway this one is about a group of people who every year open a haunted house in a different location around the state of new york and that's like sort of their thing that they do in october so they go to this place called the abaddon hotel which is an abandoned hotel in upstate new york and start building out their haunted house and then weird shit happens in the house do they they make any plays on the the connection between abaddon and abandon do they just no it it goes more into like abaddon like in a biblical sense like the sort of paranormal aspect Mm. of it and like possession Mm -hmm. type thing and and not so much the abandon abaddon kind of homonym the hotel is locally known by the name, like the name of the hotel was the Abaddon Hotel. But the actual sign that they put up outside is for their company, and their company is Hell House LLC, and that's what everyone knows them as. So that's right. why that's the name of the movie. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's just really effectively done. If you like found footage movies, I know that they're not for everyone, but I do like sort of that fourth wall breaking aspect to a found footage movie that really mm-hmm. pulls you into the drama with the characters. I think it can be quite effective when done well. And I think Hell House is a really great example of something that took what Blair Witch did and expanded on it in a way that was interesting and fun, um, but didn't feel like pretentious or like it was trying too hard. It it didn't feel repetitious. It didn't feel like it was a complete redo of what Blair Witch was doing, but it it didn't feel like it was trying too hard either. So yeah, I I think it's really worth watching. If you like horror, if you like um, found footage movies, it's super fun. It's relatively lesser known. I think it's got a pretty big cult following as far as like the horror community goes, but um, not a ton of people have heard of it. So it's sort of a fun one to pull out at like a horror movie marathon. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Do you feel it? Uh, do you feel it like challenges any of because uh, like I feel like found footage is like like it's it's not the most overdone genre, but like there's a few standouts that like really, you know made it to like the top of the list like grave encounters is like the one that like yeah i like to recommend to people where it's like this is this is a great example of like found footage do you think it sits up there with some of the better ones yeah i mean i do i don't think the sequels do but it, much in the same way that the blair witch <laughs> sequels don't stand up in the same way that the blair witch does the blair witch project i love i have a huge soft spot in my heart for it because it is really the first foray into that type of found footage mm-hmm. film that we've come to know now in addition to that they were like one of the first movies that did any type of like guerrilla marketing strategy using the internet because of when that movie came out it came out in 1991 they did this whole guerrilla marketing campaign around it and that's 
-hmm. Those components are what make the Blair Witch such an interesting story as like a movie on the whole. I do think like I personally find Hell House scarier. So if if that's sort of like the margin that you're marking it on um, for like what is good or interesting or standout, I think the Blair Witch is more interesting because it's the first to do it. It's treading new ground. Mm -hmm. But Hell House ultimately is kind of better. You like the characters a little bit more. You spend a little bit more time with them and like engage in their friendship. So it's built up more when these scary things start happening. This sort of like sense of cabin fever starts building. You already have an established relationship with these characters and that makes it more frightening when things go terribly wrong. But ultimately, I mean, I think creep is probably the one that I liked the most as far as found footage movies go. I think it's the one that did the most with the genre and it sort of combined elements of horror of slasher films of found footage films and of comedy um, and I think that's a really interesting mix that really only like the Duplass brothers could have could have managed. <laughs> um, so I I really love that one. Um, in Took particular, two people to juggle all those. Yeah, and it's just a lot. <laughs> it's a lot to be able to do without it getting messy or or being mm. like really stupid. And the ending of Creep is so hauntingly effective for me. Like it is oh, yeah. just so yeah. uncomfortable and disturbing. Creep is a yearly watch. I think. Yeah, it's fantastic. But is it is it truly scary? It's a found footage horror movie. It's got, for sure, creep out factors. Mm-hmm. Is it truly scary if you're looking for something effectively frightening? I don't think yeah. so. I think it's really tension building. I think it's really great at making you feel uncomfortable. And I think it has some like standout, brazenly funny moments that are so tonally strange that it's like, it, it is a little scary. But Hell House LLC is one of the few horror, like found footage horror movies that I have watched that are like truly, as soon as the scares start hitting, it really does keep them coming. And it's not all just like stupid jump scares. It's tension building. It's sort of like friendships falling apart and cabin fever setting in. And then you also have the jump scares layered on top of that. So it, it makes it for a really effective like ride. And that's why I'm saying like, if you're doing a Halloween movie night, I think this is a great one to add in because it's going to be a lot of fun for everyone to watch. But if you're a really big horror fan and you haven't seen it, there's going to be a lot in there that's just going to be like really interesting for you. I'm going to add that one to the list too. <laughs> it's a good day for the list. Nice. Yeah. Sometimes I have good I hadn't heard about that. That's very cool. Yeah, it's a really uh, good I one. I didn't know your take on Creep either. So that's that's news to me too. Yeah, Creep's Didn't cool. we watch Creep together? I thought I watched it with you. No. Oh, shit. I have no, no. idea who I watched it with then. Time to watch um, Creep. <laughs> It's a very good movie. I I really, really love that movie. I think the sequel's not as good. Um, I think it's still pretty good, but I didn't love, like, sort of your protagonist that you're supposed to, like, really root for through the film. I didn't think she was as interesting as the guy in the first movie. I think, you know, I felt a lot for more for him. And his fear really amplified the tension in the scenes where he was stressed out, where he was frightened. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he was just really effective. All right, but we're going to have to sadly dive into Annette very soon. But I promised some gay shit before that. And one of them is a musical. So the first, yeah, so this is fun. So I just want to say I did see recently Jojo Rabbit, which I know I'm super late on the boat on. Taiko Atiti ripping off Wes Anderson. Yeah, (laughs) With, with ScarJo and a bunch of other people. 
That's what he does. Watch any Taika Waititi movie and tell me that it doesn't remind you so intensely of a different, more popular director than Taika Waititi. All of his movies feel like homages to like other people. It's super weird. I thought it was good. It it did what it was set out to do and it was kind of unique in its way with this boy who has this imaginary friend who's Hitler in Germany and uh, is becoming a fanatic but slowly comes to realize due to his own experiences that something is really effed up about this, that his love. What I want to say about this, so whatever, there's takes about the movie, it's fine. There, the, His like sergeant, who's like this like disheveled. Oh, he's okay. great. Yeah, he's amazing in it. He's a famous actor, but I, not famous, but like a medium level actor who I loved. I and remember. he uh, has a secret gay relationship going on in it. And that is one of the cutest things oh, that yeah. is happening in the background of the thing and it's um <laughs> theon Greyjoy is his uh i think it's theon it Greyjoy is actor, yeah. yeah who's his like gay lover and he's so cute oh my god yeah that movie is like a that movie's like a six or a seven for is me but that part sam was rockwell like, sam rockwell probably i don't Couldn't know his name <laughs> i don't know his name but he's awesome hold on i'll look him up and i'll, I'll tell you this guy yeah yeah yeah, yeah i love yeah. sam rockwell he's phenomenal he's great Sam Rockwell is really, really great in a movie called, um, oh God, I think it's called like Mr. Right or something with uh, Anna Kendrick. Um, it's not mm. a great movie, but he's he's really, really great and really funny in it. Um, highly recommend. He's like a, he's like a, great he looks like a seven psychopath. He looks like a, oh yeah, he's in that too. Yeah. Uh, he, he looks like a poor man's Edward Norton uh, physically. Yeah, but he's, hmm. look, Edward Norton's been in some good movies. Edward Norton is not a bad actor. Edward Norton no. is a bastard of a human being. Yeah, um, That's and all like, we are. So abhorrently pretentious about his own performance that like it kind of has ruined his career post like 2009. S- Sam Rockwell, in my opinion, is objectively like of the two, the better actor, the more consistently mm. performing actor. Mm. Um, so I would much rather watch a movie helmed by Sam Rockwell. Hell yeah. Yeah. Sam Rockwell also reminds me a lot of Guy Pierce, not in like their acting style in any way, just in the fact that they show up in like fucking everything. Mm. Just like almost everything. There's yeah, like Guy Pierce or somewhere. Sam Rockwell. Yeah. They're just like one of them's in everything. So the other one is my first so far very good experience with my Criterion um, subscription, which was Hedwig and the Angry Inch, which is a I love that movie. gay musical. Yeah. With by uh, John Cameron Mitchell, who both created it, starred in the musical, and then starred in the music in the movie mm-hmm. as Hedwig, and it is so intense, so emotional, so authentic. I, it can't be his actual story; it, it it must be fiction. But it is such a good story, uh, okay. told almost entirely through song. Have you seen Kinky Boots? No. Or Priscilla, Queen of the Desert? Yes. Okay. So to both of you, since you have seen Priscilla and you have not, and <laughs> you have seen Kinky I've Boots and you have not, you should yeah. both you should both watch both of those because if you like Hedwig and the Angry Inch, you're gonna like both of those movies <laughs> as well. Hell yeah! Kinky Boots is fucking amazing. So good. Put that one on the list too. <laughs> it's, yeah, I'm trying to think of like what concise sort of thing to say about Hedwig. It's unique like powerful, authentic, and has this idea of gender expression that is so, it's almost outside. Like even though the conversation right now has so many things going on, 
it's in a way almost outside of it because one of the things is that a lot of queer people, this came out, the musical came out before, but the movie came out 2001. And even then, like so many trans people, so many uh, queer people of all stripes were finding themselves in uh, characters from it, especially Hedwig. But John Cameron Mitchell actually said that like, he's not sure about the trans reception because Hedwig was never meant to be a trans character. They were forced in a way to have their gender reassignment surgery due to how this the story goes that in the Soviet Union to he he's a guy who finds a, a US military officer who wants to like marry him and take him out of there but has to like fake his gender passport well enough so he gets the reassignment surgery because he knew the doctors mm-hmm. were going to do it but he never wanted to be a woman and so it's a really complicated punk rock kind of look at at the deeper like not deeper I don't want to say deeper levels but like complicated levels of queer life and Hedwig, way to describe it. Hedwig is a nasty character by the middle of the they are very understandable their history and their trauma and all these things and beautifully authentic in the music the music is so powerful and such an amazing look at their whole life but then what they do to other people is so in- like depraved in a way due to their own needs and their own desires to be this grand star and to have their life be this like uh, to think to have control over everyone around them, essentially. And I loved it. I just thought it's such a powerful look at this character study and beautifully intersecting so many aspects of queer culture. I think uh, I think that's a really good way to describe it is like a punk rock rendition of this because it really is just like a big, in a lot of ways, a big middle finger, like across the board. Yeah. It's just like, yeah, we're just gonna like, it. it doesn't want to lock itself down into any one particular yeah it doesn't want to lock itself down it's so it's so unique um i don't think i have anything to add to the discourse i don't think i've seen it recently enough but yeah kinky boots is a is a killer watch yeah i also kinky boots oh sorry hedwig Hedwig, sorry i thought we were talking about kinky boots but hedwig also phenomenal (laughs) i'd also add um maybe throw in breakfast on pluto to your watch list it is an Irish Never film. Never even heard of that one. With Correct. Killian yeah, Murphy that. and uh, Liam Neeson in it about mm. a gender queer Irish person searching for their father. That might be on Criterion. Yeah, it might be. I don't know. Trying to on the road to self discovery, meeting all these strange people, and sort of discovering their own gender and sexuality on the way after being like raised in an oppressive Catholic household. It's very interesting. Yeah, very, very fun cool. and ethereal. Mm-hmm. We've reached the moment. We've reached Here we the go. End of the, line. the movie sucked. The end. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, I I just talked a lot, but I I guess officially I'm supposed to like say the plot of the movie. I don't even know what the fucking plot right. is. I don't know. It's a um, bullshit, pretentious, up your own ass <laughs> musical. <laughs> About fame, fortune, and, like, the depravity you find in, like, white famous people. I don't know. Like, it's trying to say something and nothing comes out of it. That's what the movie's about. I think... Liberal um, use of fucking puppetry. (laughs) Yeah, literal. Um, I think I would happily summarize it as uh, a musical about nothing too important. (laughs) It's it's strange. The whole movie is... It's played off in this very like almost literal parody the whole first half we were like oh this is parody is this going to be like is this comedy what's the commentary it was never satire enough to be satire 
Yeah, and so, like, the first half we were, like, speculating and talking over it and trying to, like, piece together what each scene was composed to be and what the characters are supposed to represent because there's a lot of weird imagery which ends up not leading to anything. Um, like, Adam Driver, who plays a stand-up comedian, every scene he's in, there are bananas. Either he's eating them or they're around. Uh, the color green is also in almost every scene that he's in, typically on his body. He's like wearing something. And then his partner, uh, inversely, uh, I always mispronounce her name, but it's Marion Cotilliard. Uh, Cotilliard is always wearing like a transparent slip and seems to be the, and, and always eats apples. She plays um, an opera singer who is the foil, I guess, to his, I guess, dream of being fully in the spotlight. He feels like I maybe think, he's second banana to her. I don't. <laughs> Jesus Christ. If that's what I, it that was. That was not intentional. Not intentional. I, I don't. I, I don't know. I think. Oh, I, I guess Harold's the orange. I feel like he just yeah. like Howard. wanted Sorry. to be like taken seriously in the way that she was and like beloved mm. in the way that she was instead of like for like performing performative and like a dancing sort of monkey for entertainment Mm -hmm. yeah and the movie plays into that a lot like the the whole thing is done as a musical but all the lines spoken uh during the or the lines sung are basically just like a phrase repeated like Mm -hmm. there's a really odd scene where the two stars are like they're fucking there's no other way to put it they're fucking and they're both just singing it starts off they're like in an apple grove and they're walking holding hands just singing like we're so in love and then it gets to them fucking and then it gets just past that and it's that's all they say for like a good five minute chunk. Yeah, it's it's like really bad spoken word. Yeah, and it plays off it plays off almost as if it's trying to satirize like the spotlight and like what it t- like the, the secret lives of like yeah. these entertainers. But in the end, like I it's it, it both fetishizes and, like, smears, but without saying anything. It's just like, yeah, like, love these people, fuck these people, it we, also, I can't decide. Like, overtly felt misogynistic, and I, I can't totally put into words what I mean by that, but, like, there was no depth or, like, build to the only female character in this movie, like, the only legitimate mm-hmm. female character, other than the doll child and even the doll, the doll child, child is a literal object. Mm-hmm. And That's all silly. of the women in it are in slips 90% of the time. Like all any even clothes, even yeah. background female characters are wearing fucking negligees almost the entire time. So it's just it's just I don't know what the message was, but it doesn't feel good to me. Like just that yeah. alone because yep. it doesn't feel like a, a critique on what Hollywood or what the entertainment industry does to women. It just felt like it, it was necessary to this, the way it was written, that women had to be used as a plot device in no way that was interesting or criticizing. I think the core of this movie, and I think, you know, not to say this, what everyone who's writing a good review about this is saying, but my feeling was that by the end, it didn't feel like that much of a satire or parody to me. It really felt like you're supposed to sympathize in a certain way with Adam Driver's character and that in a way he was like, driven from his dr- uh, falling of fame to kill his wife and kills and it's like we're supposed to see this as a bad person yes but to see this as an understandable person like 
ah, uh, yes, yeah. like he would see these things this way. This is how a man's life, like not unlike Scorsese films or the or all you know Breaking Bad and all these things where you get these very male gazy type characters. Yeah, so misogyny. Yeah, and <laughs> I just think like, yeah, it's wrapped up in this art house absurdism satire thing. But let's take for example the Me Too movement part. It's completely oh, dropped boy. and meaningless. And if used for anything, the only thing I can get out of it is that he's critiquing it. He's saying like it these felt women like they were mocking weren't. them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We also and, spent and it feels like that way with a lot of things. We yeah. also spent like That's a good why, fifteen yeah. minutes of the opener being like, "Is this guy shitting on Bo Burnham?" Well, yeah, yeah. And I'm still um, not convinced he isn't just shitting on Bo Burnham. And that's the thing about it. all of like the satire that I'm going to put qu- air quotes for those who can't see like satire of it is like much of it feels like mockery, but it feels like like flinging shit while also like shitting your own pants is what I described it as just like like ruining both like the aesthetic, the the flow of the like the, the, the movie to spite the things it felt like it was making commentary on uh, and the whole thing suffered for it. Yeah, and I mean, we talked about this during the movie. This director seemed to take, like, the best techniques of far more famous directors and just sort of shove them together like some weird collage amalgam and do nothing with it. You know, like, we have stylized sort of transition shots that feel very Lynchian. We have moments that feel like homages to Tarantino. We have, like, there's a whole section for, like, a good... I don't know, two minutes that feels exactly like Chungking Express. And it's oh, like, yeah. well, what do that... you do? You're not saying anything by using these techniques. There's a scene in the opera house that really harkens to like both Roman Polanski with Rosemary's Baby and uh, like Giallo films with the coloration. And none of it has any meaning. It's like the shallowest. Well, the whole thing is- most useless way to take these techniques and it truly feels like this movie is trying to appeal to the most pretentious audience so that they can say this was my favorite movie of 2021 and if you didn't if you didn't like it then you're just stupid and you didn't get it that's what this movie feels like it feels like it's built for pretentious assholes to cling on to like they have some semblance of taste or intellect it uh that's the part that was hard to to piece together for a while is we were like how artificial is the the tone it's creating and we couldn't figure out if it was like doing badly on purpose yep or if it was i wanted to give the movie hope to, for for like the yeah. first 20 minutes i was like there's going to be some turnaround there's going to be something that it moves into something else and it just and deepened it this strange non-parody for two Adam more drivers hours. hot and has a difficult life um, I think that's like the one men have it the like, worst in Hollywood. Yeah, especially the handsome ripped ones. My God, does he look immaculate he is, in this movie, though? Fucking, Holy like, shit! Yeah. If you can suffer, I almost through think this that's what makes trash, it deprive more. Yeah. yeah, if you can suffer you can through suffer. this like fucking garbage for like yeah. an hour and a half worth of Adam Driver just like gratuitously shirtless, oh, yeah. then it's worth it. That, that's the thing that was like, I, I almost hate that this is the movie where he does that because it's like, I never want to recommend this to people. And yeah. it's like the most girls. yeah nasty way of looking at this stuff. So I, I think um, is hot. the sex scene is also like really intensely over the top, um, but very erotic. Yeah. yeah both leads are, uh, are fucking killing it. The only other 
actor who is mm-hmm. not named, but he's at the front would be I don't even know the actor. I mean the one name. with the character, yeah. <laughs> Howard the, the character. from the Howard Big from Bang. the Big Bang, Big Bang. Theory. Uh, and he plays that character, uh, which I is great. I think that's just him. Like I don't I think, think he's him. actually like a like I'm. I feel like I'm I couldn't believe he actually unfairly. wore the turtleneck with a dress shirt over oh, it at some point it would, in the movie. Oh, I couldn't and believe the blazer it. too. The scarf. Yeah. Um, the, the turtleneck scarf blazer with the combo. Down. And this whole the whole time he's got something of a bowl cut, but um, I but do. Like a curly I do want bowl to cut. curly bowl cut. I do want to. So Lydia pointed this out while we were watching, and this fucked me up. The, the the director's name. Would you mind repeating? Oh the, my the, god! The, the one that he signs things with, <laughs> like the, the, the pseudonym. Yes. So so the director for this movie. Hold on. Let me pull it up so that I have so that I say it correctly. So I don't want to be the asshole that mispronounces his fake bullshit name. <laughs> um, look, stage names are super common. I'm not shitting on that, but his stage name. This director is Leos Carax, which is almost impronounceable. He's from France. So I was like, okay, I don't know. Maybe it's like Eastern European. No, no. I looked this up. Um, and his his whole purpose of choosing this name, and it's twofold. Hold on. Oh, yeah. Double purpose name. It's the Swiss yeah. Army knife of shit names. Yeah, it's a Swiss Army knife of like pretentious fucking eating his own ass names. So Leos Carex is an anagram of his first and middle names, Alex Oscar, because uh, he mm-hmm. couldn't be regular. He's got to be special. Oh, the best part. And the best part is that the reason this I brought name, this up is this part. <laughs> his name can be read Le Oscar A X, which translates to the Oscar goes to X. Yeah, and that's X in this the- case being him. And X marks the damn spot because this movie is Oscar bait. Oh, it 100%. wants to be La La it Land. It bait. wants to be A Star Is Born. It wants to be. It's it's more than that. It's the fact that it's it's he's not doing anything interesting with genre bending. He's just mashing genres together so that it it can potentially be nominated for the most things at once, right? Like with the Golden <laughs> Globes, depending on what comes out this year, he could submit this as a comedy slash musical. He could submit it as a drama. And technically, you wouldn't be fucking wrong. And that is like the most aggravating reason to do anything that could you you could even consider genre bending. It's like it took us what like fucking seventy goddamn years to get a horror movie nominated for an Oscar, and we get Get Out, which is uh, you know phenomenally good, and we get you yeah. know The Shape of Water, which I don't think qualifies as a horror movie, but you know no. do what you will with that. But like for the Oscars. Get Out is nominated as comedy. And it's like, and this motherfucker just shoves together, or for the Golden Globe, sorry, this motherfucker just shoves together every possible genre he can just to maximize his chances of Mm. getting nominated for fucking anything. And he casts... Now that's a theory. It's a theory. But it's probably right. (laughs) I don't think I'm wrong. And he casts, you know, Adam Driver, who everyone loves, super popular right now. I don't think he was bad in it, but Adam Driver cannot sing, so it's a weird fucking choice for a musical. And then Marion Cotillard, which, when I looked more into, like, Leas Carrick's filmography, felt weird. Because the majority of the feature-length films that he's done, because he's predominantly done short films, but over his, you know, 40-year career, he's done about four or five 
um, feature length films. And like three of those star Juliette Binoche, an actress who is also French, who's also very French looking and like not dissimilar when she was young looking to Marion Cotillard. And I'm like, this feels a lot like Tim Burton with his obsession right. with his wife, you know, like or or Rob Zombie with his obsession with his wife. And it's just but now it's not your wife anymore. It's a different person who just kind of looked like her when she was young. And that's weird. Just some lady. I don't think I think those are some of the best things we can say about the movie. The movie fucking sucked. Yeah, um, yeah I genuinely just don't want to talk about it like that much and that's like I mean we can say like there was stuff we noticed like they have lines about how he's always killing people with laughter and she's always dying on stage they bring people to life you know that there's the the meat for or the mean bones for like things like you can see that they're trying to do things and I can see how people got things out of the movie for me or, or and it seems for all of us like those aspects all just failed and felt shallow and and didn't add up to anything and the things I could tell were adding up to things were not satisfying. So that's it. That's I, uh, my, uh, that's, that's the take. Yeah. I wanted to offer uh, a user review from Rotten Tomatoes oh, as yes, a closer. That's right. if, if, if that's okay. Yes. Sure. Philip F. <laughs> writes, unwatchable must be art. <laughs> yeah. The, the absolutely <laughs> like just fucking frustrating as goddamn hell thing about this movie is that it is getting relatively good reviews and I just everyone is just biting onto this Oscar bait pretentious horseshit and it is so fucking unnerving and I hate it don't watch this movie this movie fucking sucks yeah fuck this movie Giuseppe do you want to take us out Yeah. yeah bring us home you can catch us on Twitter at FansLapsPod, which is our the best way to communicate with us. You can find us on other social media if you'd like, and we'd love to hear from you. If you have any movie recommendations, we'd love those. And any kind of interaction or reviews, we would be so much appreciated. I think that's it for now. So if we all want to say anything else or then say <laughs> goodbye. I don't, remember, I don't remember if there's like some other little line we're supposed to say, but no, we Dune is a better movie. Bye. Yeah. Okay. But Super Mario Brothers is not. Let's not go that far. It oh might be god. better. Oh my god. What? Oh my god. Until next time. <laughs> okay, bye. Tune in next time for. Bye. <laughs>